people getting assaulted um, for you know your race and your religion is a terrifying thing and you never know who's next. Coming up on Carolina Connection, UNC students are navigating the emotional toll of the Israel-Palestine conflict. Good morning, I'm Savannah Gunter. And I'm Henry Taylor. Also this week, Chancellor Kevin Guskowitz says he's considering a job as president at Michigan State University. The town council rejects a proposal for what would have been the tallest residential building in Chapel Hill. College students spend thousands on Taylor Swift, and PhD students at UNC and State work to save birds from window collisions. From the UNC Husman School of Journalism and Media, this is Carolina Connection. Thanks for joining us. Israel renewed its assault on the Gaza Strip Friday after the end of a week-long truce with Hamas. Since the initial Hamas attack on Israel October 7th, the conflict has distressed UNC students who are close to it. They are simultaneously wrestling with the grief caused by war and the fear caused by rising Islamophobia and anti-Semitism. W.H. Hayes has more. On October 7th, the terrorist organization Hamas launched a surprise attack. Since then, 15,000 Palestinians and 1,200 Israelis have been killed. On the UNC campus, a number of protests have occurred, including this pro-Palestinian rally last week. An Arab Muslim UNC senior, who asked to remain anonymous, says she's concerned about her safety and feels unheard by UNC's administration. At least in terms of higher up, uh, nobody really is talking about the threat that we are facing. And uh, it's, it's really disappointing because Carolina has been my home and now I don't feel like it is anymore. This student says she's afraid of leaving her dorm and says her academic and professional life is suffering as well. I've missed out more than three weeks of class. My grades have declined greatly. I'm not performing in the way that I am. The way I am in my job has declined greatly. Uh, this is something that impacts me day and night and it doesn't stop. She says it's even bleeding into her career plans. I wanted to help facilitate peace because there are, there are organizations that are trying to facilitate peace. And that was my dream. Is, is to go there, to live there, and to work there. And now there, there might not be a Palestine to go to, and that breaks my heart. The conflict has a deep impact on Israeli students as well. Tal Zadok, an Israeli exchange student at UNC's Kenan Flagler Business School, says he hasn't gotten much sleep lately. In addition to anxiety keeping him awake, the time difference between the U.S. and Israel means he sometimes stays up late watching news from the Middle East. He has a hard time putting it out of his mind. It's a mix of emotions that combine like with Anger, sadness, depression, privilege to be alive. People like us, young lives were robbed of the future. Yeah, it's a mix. And it's not happy mix. Economics major Neil Modis, who was born in the U.S. but raised in Israel, says the events have left him in shock. The beginning was very hard because things were like going as usual here. And I definitely was not, I was physically here, but I was... I felt like I need to be back home with my family and my friends, especially uh, my brother lost one of, the, one of his best friends. So that was very hard. Modis says Israeli students also feel unsupported by UNC's administration and alienated on campus. 
The U.S. Education Department's Office for Civil Rights has opened investigations into alleged anti-Semitic and Islamophobic incidents on college campuses. Last month, three Palestinian college students were shot in Vermont, which had added to the fear for the Arab student at UNC. Continuously seeing news outlets of people getting shot at, people getting harassed, people getting assaulted um, for, you know, your race and your religion is a terrifying thing and you never know who's next. I'm not scared, but there is a small part of me that's like, am I going to be next? Last month, Chancellor Kevin Guskowitz spoke out against hate speech on campus, saying he was disappointed by some of the rhetoric. The chancellor said some of the messaging in classrooms, on sidewalks, and on social media targets members of the campus community. In Chapel Hill, I'm WHA's. The UNC community awaits a final answer on whether Chancellor Kevin Guskowitz will depart to become president at Michigan State University. A report in the Michigan State student newspaper said Guskowitz is the sole candidate for the position. Guskowitz confirmed in a brief statement last month that he's weighing the opportunity and students and faculty have begun to envision a Carolina without his leadership. Caroline Horn has the story. Many students and faculty are expressing support for the chancellor who led UNC through many controversial issues during his five-year term. Some of these include the aftermath of Silent Sam's removal, COVID-19, the Supreme Court affirmative action case, and the shooting death of a professor on campus in August. Ashley Terrell, a UNC senior, said she was sorry to learn Guskowitz might leave. He really created a great community at Carolina, especially coming back from the pandemic and stuff. So yeah, as a senior, it is a little weird to see him, you know, possibly leave. UNC faculty chair Beth Morocco and Richard Superfine, a physics professor, sent letters to faculty urging them to sign in support of Guskowitz staying at UNC. One letter read, if you leave, it's a huge loss to Carolina. On Thursday, Michigan State's student newspaper reported that Guskowitz said that he would only take the MSU position if he is able to lead without, quote, undue interference from faculty, trustees, and staff. At UNC, Guskowitz has often tangled with campus and state leaders. Joe Killian, a reporter for NC Newsline who focuses on higher education stories, said that the chancellor has had to appease different voices during his term. He has been navigating these really complicated, thorny political issues, and he's had to do it being pulled in these different directions. Now, I don't think that's necessarily going to get better for him at Michigan. <laughs> you know, Michigan's got its own problems. If Gus Quitz does decide to leave, the selection process for a new chancellor will be led by UNC system president Peter Hans. While a committee will conduct a search, a new state law gives Hans additional power to also select finalists on his own. UNC trustee Marty Kodis said the board was also unaware of Guskowitz's potential departure until they heard about it in news accounts. There's been no discussions with the trustees about setting up a search committee yet. We're, we're responding to this information and um, as everyone else is. Killian, the NC Newsline reporter, said Provost Chris Clemens may be a candidate for interim chancellor if Guskowitz does leave. Killian also reported that there have been discussions of members of either the Board of Governors or the Board of Trustees stepping down from their positions to take on the interim chancellor role. In Chapel Hill, I'm Caroline Horn. Tai Lei Chi, the UNC grad student accused of shooting and killing Professor Seja Yen on campus in August, has been declared unfit to stand trial. The Orange County Court found Chi was suffering from undiagnosed schizophrenia. 
Judge Allison Grine handed down the decision. The court made the determination based on two mental health evaluations. Chi requested that the court release the findings of those evaluations to the public, but the court denied this request. Now, Chi will receive treatment at the Central Regional Hospital in Butner. Doctors plan to evaluate Chi once again after he receives treatment, and he may face trial for the charges in the future. A UNC program aimed at helping communities across North Carolina is celebrating its achievements. Carolina Across 100 is a five-year initiative designed to assist North Carolina counties as they recover from the impacts of COVID-19. One of its projects, called Our State, Our Work, focuses on helping 16 to 24-year-olds find steady jobs. The program held a summit Wednesday. Tinny Wong has the story. Sienna Harnett, a 17-year-old, once faced the instability of moving between shelters across western North Carolina counties. As an opportunity use, her life took a positive turn thanks to the transformative impact of the Our State, Our Work program. Before I was in the program, I bounced around from place to place. I didn't really know where I was going to live. The program impacted my life. They um, helped me find a way to get somewhere that I wanted to be. Even outside of the program, the people in it helped me personally um, make connections, learn how to do things, figure out what I'm going to do. The Our State, Our Work program engaged 13 collaborative teams spanning 37 counties in North Carolina. These teams dedicated themselves to addressing the needs of nearly 115,000 young adults who face disconnection from school and employment due to the challenges posed by the pandemic. Harness said with the support of the program, she not only secured a job at a local grocery store, but also obtained her adult high school diploma. In the program, they helped support me financially through transportation, helped me get back, back and forth from school. Without them, I probably would not have graduated. She's now starting art at Tri-County Community College with a 4.0 average and hopes to transfer to a four-year university. I want one more round of applause for these amazing the summit, marking the initiative's combination, featured panels shedding lights on the struggles and triumphs of opportunity use. Anita Brown-Graham, director of NC Impact Initiative, outlined the interconnected challenges these youth face during the summit. Many young people suffer from a myriad of interrelated challenges, food, housing, community violence, the list goes on and on. My hope is that it will inspire each person here to think about, irrespective of the sector you represent, how you too can be part of the, if not us, then who club. Over the past 18 months, certain collaborative teams have made great strides to build local support and organize their resources to connect with opportunity use. They presented storyboard-style posters to attendees in the summit. Jasmine Johnson, Deputy Director of NC Impact Initiative, said it's important that each team represents the leaders of what's going on in their communities. We want to make sure that we're not coming into communities and telling them how to make it better for their people. We want to make sure that they are the loudest and most active voice in that process. It's a program by the people for the people. 
Rick Brown, Bank of America leader on loan at the NC Impact Initiative, said the program helped to address the dual challenge of connecting youth with opportunities and employers with employees. A lot of these kids are um, disconnected from the county. Um, things like that that a lot of people take for granted in terms of what, when they go to look for a job, they already have those in place. So if you can imagine trying to find a job when you don't have the, the, the fundamental support in your life to go look for a job and then be prepared to be a good worker. Um, that's what a lot of them are lacking. So this program is in place to try and help the kids take a step forward if, if, with overcoming some of those basic challenges that other people don't have. As the Carolina Across 100 initiative progresses, success stories like Harnets stand as a testament to the power of community-led efforts in creating opportunities for North Carolina's youth. The initiative's commitment to inclusivity and empowerment will continue to pave the way for the second program, Our State, Our Wellbeing, which will focus on improving mental health and reducing suicide in North Carolina. In Chapel Hill, I'm Tian Wang. This week, the Chapel Hill Town Council said no to a plan to construct what would have been the town's tallest residential building. They voted 7-1 to one to block a proposed development at 157 East Rosemary Street that would have added a 12-story apartment building to the heart of downtown. Anthony DeHart reports. The November 29th Chapel Hill Town Council meeting was an unusually popular event. All right. We'll hear from our public. We have a lot of people signed up to speak. More than 35 members of the public signed up to speak, most of them members of the Phi Mu sorority concerned about a proposed development at 157 East Rosemary Street right next to their sorority house. Developers proposed a 12-story residential condo building on the site, standing taller than anything else on the street and just about anything else in Chapel Hill, except for the bell towers on the UNC campus and the University United Methodist Church. Monica McCarty, FIMU's Panhellenic advisor, spoke for the sorority. FIMU is deeply concerned about the impact of the proposed structure on the charm and ambiance of our Preservation Chapel Hill designated historic home. As proposed, the development will cause our members to experience near total loss of privacy, which includes views into the bedroom windows of girls ages 19 to 21 FIMU members were not the only ones opposed to the development. The building would also displace the Gathering Place, a well-known bar and hangout currently on the site. Nico Martin, a regular at the Gathering Place, spoke about the significance of the space. It's a really cool place that represents the soul of Chapel Hill, fostering a spirit of unity and inclusivity. Um, what I have to say for all of you is that we must ask ourselves, what message are we sending by replacing this community cornerstone with a towering structure that prioritizes profit over people, that prioritizes short-time gains over long-time growth. This is, the future we is this the future we envision for Chapel Hill? After hearing all of these concerns, along with a few comments supporting the development, the council voted 7-1 to one to deny the conditional zoning proposal. Mayor-elect Jess Anderson said that adding more dense housing was good, but said that she felt that the proposed plan did not blend well enough into the existing infrastructure. I really do like this building. I just think the transition is not right here. But I don't, I don't want to um, imply that I think nothing should be here or that housing shouldn't be here. I think it should. And um, I do think getting the adjoining parcel would be very helpful in terms of the massing, <laughs> um, in terms of the transitions. Um, but I think we also all have to be ready to be... Um, welcoming and accommodating of new neighbors downtown because that's what we need. Um, 
I just think this this one is just a tough one for me. Condo units in the building were expected to sell for an average price of $950 a square foot, but it would have had 14 affordable units reserved for residents making less than 80% of the area median income. Camille Berry was the lone council member who voted for the plan. Let's be careful about holding on to charm and character. Because what is charming and uh, characteristic to one can feel very exclusive to another if you're outside of that group. And I have to tell you, it was startling to see pictures and also to see a group here that looks very homogenous. It may not be homogenous, but the appearance is. And that's one thing that I want to make sure that Chapel Hill does not continue, does not build on its legacy, its heritage carrying forward. There are no more town council meetings this year, but the council advised the developer to consider acquiring the adjacent lot, currently a parking lot, and encouraged the developer to pursue a more blended design for future zoning applications for the building. In Chapel Hill, I'm Anthony DeHart. Coming up on Carolina Connection, a new project in Chapel Hill aims to prevent bird deaths by documenting their collisions with windows. Hi, we're the Goo Goo Dolls. We're fortunate that we can give our daughters everything they need to grow and learn. But not every child can focus on classes and play dates. Nearly 13 million kids in the U.S. face hunger. That's one in six. School lunch might be their only meal each day, and it's heartbreaking to imagine any child going to bed hungry. We're dreaming of a perfect day when kids can smile, play, and just be kids without worrying about where their next meal will come from. Feeding America is working to make that perfect day a reality. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste. That food is given to families and children in need. Being a kid should be about doing things that make an ordinary day extraordinary. Learning to play an instrument, building a sandcastle, hosting tea parties. Hunger should never be an obstacle to growing up. You can help end childhood hunger in your community by visiting feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. You're listening to Carolina Connection, UNC's student-produced newscast. I'm Savannah Gunter. And I'm Henry Taylor. One leading cause of death for birds during migration season is window collisions. So, two PhD students from UNC and NC State have started the City Bird Project, which collects data to convince policymakers to help reduce collisions. Reporter Sia Zhen has the story. Millions of birds are killed by flying into windows every year. According to City Bird data, from September last year till now, there were 245 birds dead because of collisions at UNC, NCSU, and Meredith College. Jim Bai is a PhD student at NCSU who founded the City Bird Project. Bai says that many glass buildings on UNC campus, such as Curtis Media Center and Genome Science Building, are dangerous places for birds. Birds can see the reflection of trees, or because they are so transparent, they can see the trees on the other side. So the birds often collide in those uh, areas. Bai started collecting data in the fall of 2019 after seeing a dead bird on his way to Davis Library. He received help from UNC biology professor Alan Herbert, 
who documented bird collisions long before Byte did. Wilson Hall on campus just is notorious for getting lots of birds um, dying by colliding with windows. And so I noticed this maybe 15 years ago probably. The vast majority of collisions were during the winter when we have these birds that form big flocks. Herber also says that it's pretty easy to participate in the CD Bird Project and be a part of the group to help. If you're going to be on campus anyway, then it's very easy to participate because you just might take five or ten minutes to walk around a building on a given day and kind of check for any birds that have collided with the building and, and maybe you do that twice a week for a few weeks. Mackenzie Howland, a UC senior, has witnessed birds colliding with the window several times. One time she saw an owl smacking into the window. I was coming out of my folklore class. There's this owl that, it's like a barred owl, that sits in the tree right next to Carroll Hall. And it just starts to fly and then rams itself like rams its head into Carroll Hall, like the, the glass window portion, and then turned around and flew away. Hoglan also says she would introduce the project to her friends to help birds and the ecosystem by collecting data on bird collisions. Explaining, you know, the importance of this project and its significance would motivate anyone. I'm, I'm sure that most people have experienced a bird hitting a window and it's never fun. It's never a pretty sight. Um, and it makes all of us sad, so I would think and hope that majority of people would be willing. College campuses can also offer great help. Professor Herbert says that UC Department of Biology spends $5,000 buying the stickers that are bird-friendly. But when they want to put the stickers on, UNC Facility Services is charging the Biology Department $7,000 for the lift. We already spent $5,000 on the stickers, we don't have another $7,000 for the lift. So we've just had these stickers in a closet for a year. If the university would just help um, support the cost of using a university lift, then we could actually get them applied and start reducing those bird deaths like immediately. Birds are a huge part of our ecosystem. By preserving the data, whenever you see a bird colliding with the window, everyone can help them migrate to their destination safely. In Chapel Hill, I'm Sia Jin. Now, let's take a look at sports. I'm joined here by the Daily Tar Heels sports managing editor, Lucas Tomei. Thanks so much for once again lending us your expertise. Of course, thanks for having me on again. So the UNC men's basketball season is currently underway and the Heels beat Tennessee this Wednesday. What, if anything, does that tell us about the season's team so far? Yeah, so I think the Tar Heels had a few questions leaving their Thanksgiving tournament in the Bahamas uh, this past weekend when they dropped a sort of disappointing overtime game against Villanova. They made up for it the next day with a win over number 20 Arkansas and there were some sort of concerns about whether there would be a sort of post-Thanksgiving hangover. And that definitely was not the case against number 10, Tennessee, who's known for one of the toughest defenses in the country. And the Tar Heels absolutely picked the Volunteers apart, scoring 61 points in the first half. Um, I think what you saw from this team is a level of playmaking that has not been there in the past. And that has come a lot from new faces, specifically first-year guard Elliot Cadeau, and junior forward transfer Harrison Ingram, who is a sort of do-it-all dynamic wing player. 
So the Heels play Florida State later today. What will you be watching for out of the team? It is the first ACC matchup for the Tar Heels, and it's going to be very, very important for Hubert Davis to sort of get his team started on the right foot in conference play with a win, especially for a team that's looking to pick up some solid wins and boost its tournament resume uh, before it's too late, as they've come to do uh, in past seasons. The fall semester is coming to a close. So in your view, what UNC sports teams haven't gotten enough attention this semester? Yeah, well, obviously the, the fall sports teams have been honestly very, very successful. Of course, you saw field hockey come off with their 10th national championship in program history earlier this semester. The women's soccer team made it to the quarterfinals of the NCAA tournament as they've sort of become perennial championship contenders. They fell to BYU earlier this month. I have my eyes on the men's soccer team who's going to be playing Oregon State this Sunday for a chance to go back to their first college cup since 2020. If the Tar Heels win, beat the Beavers, they will head to Louisville, Kentucky to compete for the program's third national championship. All right. That was the Daily Tar Heels sports managing editor, Lucas Tomei. Thanks again for coming in today. Of course. Thanks for having me on. Taylor Swift's Eras Tour movie has left most theaters, but will soon be available to rent. Some fans spend thousands on Swift's concert tickets, movie tickets, and merchandise. But others are annoyed with the high costs that come with being a fan. Carolina Connections' Samantha Hoffman has more. Welcome to the Eras Tour! Taylor Swift is officially a billionaire. Not only is she earning millions herself, but also bringing business to stadiums, movie theaters, and countless travel-related businesses through her Eras Tour and concert films. Box office analysts expected the film to leave theaters by November 5th but many extended its showing through November due to its success. The Ares Tour concert film will be available to rent December 13th for $19.89. While many are excited to watch the film from the comfort of their own homes, some are critical of continuous expenses surrounding the artist, like Duke student Clay Thornton. I have never seen a movie being rented on a streaming platform for over $10, certainly. Typically, I would see them around, you know, two to five dollars. So for it to be twenty dollars to rent, I think is um, a little excessive. The Washington Post and research company Question Pro found that Swifties were spending an average of thirteen hundred dollars on the Eras Tour, nearing four point six billion dollars in consumer spending in the U.S. Between the concert, film, and merchandise. UNC Greensboro student Beck Humphreys explains how quickly the costs added up to see the show in Nashville. My ticket cost me $875, and then about another $100 on gas, another $500 in hotels. I spent about $200 on merch at the stadium, and then my outfit was around, I think like $130. Outside of the movie and the Ares tour as a whole, I bought many sweatshirts from Taylor Swift, and each of them have been about $60, and I think I bought five or six in total. It was never just seeing a concert or a movie. Fans spend money on themed outfits, travel, popcorn buckets, and other merchandise for each of her 10 eras. I'm, you know, 
have purchased basically all of her albums on vinyl, which are obviously quite expensive. I, you know, typically don't spend that much money on um, particular celebrities, but I think that speaks to, you know, kind of the community value of, of Taylor's fan base. Thornton, Humphreys, and student Vicky Jin each spent upwards of $1,500 on Swift in the past year. I think I spent around $2,500 on Taylor Swift. Probably upwards of like $1,500. I've estimated probably around $1,500. No matter how much Swift charges, fans continue to support her, crediting their nostalgic love for her music, the cultural relevance of the tour, and the community feeling of being a Swifty. I'm not gonna complain if the price is lower. You know, I'm still gonna get that sweatshirt. I would love for things to be cheaper. Um, in terms of her merchandise and stuff like that. But I'm still going to do it because I love Taylor Swift and I know it makes me happy. I mean, it's like a once in a lifetime thing. It's the Eras tour. It's more for me, less about supporting her. It's something that I can connect with my friends over and it's just a great, it's just a great um, feeling, you know, to, to be a part of that type of community. In Chapel Hill, I'm Samantha Hoffman. And that's it for this edition of Carolina Connection, a production of the UNC Hussman School of Journalism and Media. Our technical director is Kevin Paris. I'm Henry Taylor. And I'm Savannah Gunter. You can hear more of our stories at carolinaconnection.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram and X at UNC Connection and on Facebook at Carolina Connection. Thanks for listening.